we 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 started talking about this uh, last time. We started talking about this decision that they made to uh, to listen to the serpent, and we kind of got off on this long tangent about who is the serpent and and how do, how should we understand his role in. Uh, or, or what is he? What is that nature? What is that kind? And you know, I don't have all of that super clear, but I shared a lot of what I uh, what I feel like I've seen a little bit of. And and but the, but <clears throat> what I want to do today is talk more about what happened with what happened when they believed that lie and took the fruit. The first thing that I always like to mention when I talk about this is that the lie. Usually, when we when we think about what happened in the garden, the fall of man, what people focus on is um, they focus on the act of disobedience, and and then f- they think that basically what what was given to man that in the garden was a was a choice, a, a test. God gave some simple instructions, and man was given the opportunity to obey those instructions or to defy the Lord, and the Lord, you know, they, they disobeyed and whatever. But I think there's a whole lot more that we need to see there, and I think that's really, honestly, a, a very small and in, inaccurate view of what happened. Focusing on disobedience is never, in fact, focusing on obedience or disobedience is never really aiming us in the right direction. Christians are always thinking about obedience and disobedience in terms of actions. I mean, and and yet it is it is only possible to disobey if we have working in us a contrary mind and a contrary nature. And the the, the opposite of that is true also to the measure that we are seeing with the same mind and abiding in the same nature of God and of the Lord, you know, then to that extent, it is effortless to obey. Obedience and disobedience are fruits of of a nature. Disobedience is, is just another way of saying contrariness, you know, contrariness to God or, or or failure to align with what He is and wants and 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 said yes. But we look at it when we think about the word disobedience. I think we take it like three steps removed from where we should start to look at it. Disobedience is a result. It's a result here in this story. It's a result in every story. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, when, when uh, the author of Hebrews is talking about why they didn't enter the land, in one verse he says they didn't enter the land because of uh, lack of faith. And uh, or it says unbelief, but in, in, in Greek, we've talked about this before, that word uh, belief is really the word faith. And the lack of, uh, the unbelief is actually just a, a word for the, the in Greek, just for the lack of faith. And so lack of faith was the reason they didn't enter into the land. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, that the word that they heard did not uh, benefit them because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. And then a couple of verses later, it says they didn't enter into the land because of disobedience. And so you, you, know, you almost left saying, well, which one is it? Is it? Is it because they didn't believe or didn't have faith? Which are two very different things, by the way. Uh, they, they didn't have faith, or is it because they didn't obey? And the answer is yes. It's because, I mean, the answer is yes to both of those. Because disobedience is the natural, <clears throat> out. it's the natural byproduct. It's the natural outflowing of a contrary mind, a contrary nature. The only way to be obedient to God is to have his mind and nature working in your soul. You have to be inwardly seeing what he is seeing, wanting what he is wanting, uh, agreeing with what he is and what he's doing for for you to have any kind of true obedience. Because if you obey externally what God says in words without inwardly aligning with what he is in nature, well, that's the whole issue that Jesus was talking about the entire time when he was walking around seeing these people that were whitewashed tombs. They were outwardly clean, inwardly full of dead man's bones. They were cups that were washed on the outside and inside full of you know, filth. They were, he was saying, look, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he was always trying to point to an inward disalignment 
that was that 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 trumped an outward alignment because even if these people were obeying outwardly the law Jesus knew their hearts. In fact, I was just thinking this this morning at uh, at church here. We were talking about this verse in Luke chapter sixteen. I think it's verse fifteen where Jesus says, um, <clears throat> "He says, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. That which is of high esteem, or that which is how does it say it in English translation? It says high esteem in the Spanish translation, but it's like." Uh, that which is highly regarded or or praised among men or something like that is detestable in the eyes of God. Now, those are quite. That's a verse that really kind of should uh, put a little bit of the fear of the Lord in our hearts because that which is highly and he was talking to religious leaders there. He wasn't talking to. Uh, he was talking to religious leaders about what they thought was religiously in high regard. He was not talking to 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 sinners and prostitutes uh, pretending that that was what God wanted. He was talking to to religious folks. <clears throat> and why am I saying all this? Well, because I think this misunderstanding about obedience and faith goes all the way back to the garden. It goes all the way back to this, to, to right here. And our, our understanding of what happens here in the garden, it, it needs to be adjusted to how I think the Lord understands um, what obedience and disobedience is. In, in fact, if you read the New Testament, we've looked at this a little bit in, in our Hebrew study recently. Um, <clears throat> faith is the only way. Faith, not not belief now. When I say faith, I know most of you know this already, but just in case someone hasn't heard this enough times to have it uh, sink in a little bit. Faith is the mind of the Lord working in your in your heart. It's It's his view, his perspective, his light, bringing you to his view. It's not... It's not uh, what you believe. People are really confused about this. Belief it comes from man. Man is the author and finisher of belief. Christ is the author and finisher of faith. Two totally different minds. Two totally different lights. And and faith comes from God. Works in us as the as the perspective of the Lord. And and causes us to inwardly align with what He is. Well, that's why it is impossible to please God without faith, because it's impossible to please God with a contrary nature working in you. Do you understand? That's what that's what Paul said. Or not, well, whoever wrote Hebrews, Hebrews chapter eleven, verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Well, because without faith, it's your mind, nature, light, the light that Jesus called darkness, working in you. And so, much of the New Testament has to do with. Uh, with everything being by faith, but including obedience. Obedience is by faith. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 16. Paul starts and ends his letter to the Romans saying that the desire of the Lord is the obedience of faith. The obedience among the nations of faith. Um, some translations say obedience to the faith, but that's a that's a that's a wrong translation. It's really just the obedience of faith. It's the obedience that comes out from faith. It's faith's obedience. It's really it's a genitive. It's a possessive word there, and 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 so what's my point? My point is that unless the mind of the Lord is working in you as as it says in, in, in Philippians two, you know God is the one who both wills and and does in you His own good pleasure. Unless that is really where our obedience is coming from, then we're actually actually very much like the Pharisees were outwardly obedient but inwardly completely contrary. And it is impossible to obey God in the way that He's desiring without with 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 an adamic mind and nature governing us it's just outward even my kids understand this when i talk to them about you know like what would what does mom and dad really want from you you know do you think we want you to to hate us and stand do what we say cuz you're afraid or do you, do we want you to love us and agree with what we're saying and do what's right because because it's right, and uh, you know, and even they understand that. All right. Well, when you get back to the garden here, 
what you see is, and again, everyone focuses on the act of disobedience, and then we think, well, it's not fair because Adam disobeyed, but why are we all punished for Adam's disobedience? Because he did the bad deed, and and somehow God thinks that we're all guilty because of it, or you know, however we under, misunderstand uh, uh, um, the, the the idea of original sin. But that's not what happened. What happened was that first, and if you go back and read the passage, first, in fact, let's just go to it here. Uh, it says that in chapter 3, <clears throat> the woman starts talking with the serpent. And the serpent comes to the woman and says, Has God really said, this is verse 1, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree, fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it. Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, "You will surely, uh, you will not surely die." And then he says, "For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So here's the key, right here. Okay. Uh, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, it was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband. And then the eyes of them both were open, and they knew they were naked. <clears throat> well, first they received a lie. First they believed a lie. First, first she heard this lie, and then suddenly the fruit takes on this very appealing characteristic First, it was a lie that entered into her, and then it was an apple, or a peach, or whatever it was. But my point is that the disobedience, the act in itself, was the, you could say it this way, the act itself was the fruit. The act itself was the, the fruit of the lie that they had already believed. They had already looked at something outside of God outside of of what God had offered to them and found in it something they wanted for themselves found in it something that was desirable to their flesh desirable to their eyes desirable for their own personal gain they found in it a way to have something that God said didn't exist you know that they could be like God they could have their eyes open they could have their own wisdom they could be whatever and they found it attractive and they, they believed it, and that's why they took it. So they took it because they believed it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to ha hammer this point a little bit hard here, but it's because the entire Christian world, for the most part, is totally consumed with the idea of outward obedience. But outward obedience is the fruit of a lie. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Outward, I mean, sorry, outward disobedience is the fruit of a lie. Outward obedience is the fruit of a light, is the fruit of a new... It, or you could say of, of the truth working in you, the person who is truth versus, versus the, the nature of the lie. The outward effects are byproducts. And if we could just like get this one thing down, I think we would start putting our heart more into this is this and this is as far as I can see, this is exactly what Jesus constantly was saying. As he walked through the streets of Israel, he was constantly trying to expose the nature of their obedience as being still unrighteousness. And, and he did that in a number of different ways, using the examples that I just gave you, or in the famous Sermon on the Mount, that Christians still today are trying to obey in the flesh, which is mind-boggling, because the whole point of Jesus, in my opinion, uh, giving that whole thing was to prove that everything that they had done according to the flesh by the law was still far from righteousness. I mean, he says this whole thing and, and about, you know, you've heard this, that if you, you know, commit adultery, it's bad, but I tell you that he looks up with a woman upon, with desire. Or, um, you know, you've heard that murder is wrong, but I tell you that he who is angry with his brother, it's the same. Or, you know, and then he says these, 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 uh, these statements at the end, like, unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, even to make it worse, he kind of wraps the whole thing up with a good tree, or a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. There's two different kinds of trees. You know, he lays this whole thing out for them to try to show them that they're a bad, they're a bad tree. 
and they need to have, they need a whole new life. They need a whole new root. They need a whole new seed. And it's it's amazing that that and 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 the whole purpose of that was to bring them to this despair, where they would say, like some of the apostles did, Lord, if this is true, who can be saved? And then God says, Jesus says, Bingo. With man, it is impossible. But with God. And usually we take that but with God and we just think, well, then God will forgive you and it's okay. But that's not the but with God that Jesus had in mind. Jesus had in mind an entirely different life, an entirely different kingdom of righteousness that he was going to work in their soul. A whole different nature, a whole different person. But I say that just to say that Jesus had always had in view this greater idea of obedience that was an inward alignment with the mind and nature and purpose and will and character of God that would take place when his spirit was actually living in us, governing us. And, and and the Pharisees didn't get it. The Jews didn't get it, and we don't get it. That's the weirdest thing about it, you know. We and, and I'm totally guilty. I mean, for and I still I'm sure don't get it to a massive degree. But even but for for a long time I didn't get it at all. I would read the Sermon on the Mount. I'd read these things. I'd just blame the Pharisees for being gross, and then I would just go on in my own flesh trying to do the things that, that Jesus was saying, you know, in, in the flesh. And, uh, and, and, and that all just misses the whole point, and it misses what's going on here in the garden. They ate a lie, a lie that changed the way that they saw God, that they saw themselves, that they saw the tree. Immediately, if you read, if you read on in chapter 3, everything about their perspective changes. First, it changes about the, about the fruit and about what God said. Obviously, they, they, they changed their view of God. Because he said, don't eat of it unless you die. And they believed that that was a lie. And they took it. Well, but not just that. They changed their view about the tree. And they saw that there was something outside of what God had given them that was desirable, that was good, that was attractive, that was personally beneficial. Which is, which is what the lie always says to us. Here's something that's, well, it's not what God said, but it's good for you. You know, it's not what God really has in mind for you, but it's still going to make you really smart and really whatever. And and then, as a result of all that, it changed their view um, about themselves. And, and, and the first thing that it says, I think it's right there in that same verse we just read, that suddenly they knew they were naked. Suddenly, and we talked about this a little bit last week, I think, before I got into the Satan stuff. But suddenly, they they looked at themselves with this absolute, overwhelming, constantly present and gnawing self-awareness. Suddenly life became a, a pursuit of, uh, of self-gain. And that's, that's the story of Adam ever since. That's really what Adam's all about. That's what this lie is all about. It's a lie that makes man the center of his own story. It makes man the source of his own judgments. It's a lie that tries to find value, purpose, life, identity, usefulness, glory, gifting, whatever, in the Adamic man apart from God. That's, as far as I can see, and that's kind of what that little book that I wrote was about, you know, the lie, in, in a few words, it's just about how that is, the, that is the lens through which we see everything. That's also the lens through which we see God. That lens is right in the middle of the church, too. We look at ourselves, we say, look, you made this awesome thing, God, it's me. Now, you know, and, and then we begin to try to relate to God according to the same lie of self-value, self-worth, self-love. And we say, God, I know my life has value, therefore, show me how to live it for you. You know? And God, the whole time, is scratching his head saying, wait a minute, you just rejected the tree of life, and now you want me to tell you how to live your fallen, independent, self-consumed life for me? What? You know, and, and or you say, God, I know that you, you know, really want what's best for me. So bless my life. You know, it's like the prayer of Jabez. You know, 
give me a bunch of stuff because hey I'm worth it you know <laughs> because if you don't ask you don't receive so you know that that book just like filled up every Christian's bookshelf for like three years I remember back in like 2000 and two or something maybe it was before that 98 i can't remember when that book came out but actually i was in kansas city so but it was just flying off the shelves left and right and and why was it flying off the shelf because because someone came out and just said it boldly god wants to give you a whole bunch of stuff and you know what you deserve it you know you just gotta ask well that's part of the lie too you know or or Here's another thing that a way that the lie works in our hearts. God, I understand what I really need. Therefore, answer my prayers. I'm going to present to you what I know is best. And I'm not saying it's bad to pray. Obviously, prayer is a wonderful thing. We just need to understand it in the light, just like everything else. But most of the time, I remember when I started to uh, see just a little bit of light working in my heart. I used to I used to go out and take this walk every night before I went to bed and I'd pray and stuff and I got out. It's just shortly after starting to see the Lord and I just remember going out to the Lord and like I used to kind of look up at the stars. It's kind of my, my little romantic time with Jesus, you know, or whatever. And I went, <laughs> went out and I started praying and I was just like I don't have any idea I don't I don't know what I need. I don't even know what you've already given me. I don't know who I am. I don't even know what prayer is. You know, I mean I just remember thinking I've been out here for year after year since since college is when I started doing that, you know. I've I've been out here year after year in the middle of the night walking around giving you my shopping list of Adamic desires and man, why didn't you just strike me with lightning? I can't believe you just put up with that, you know, <laughs> for the last ten years. What's going on? And uh and, and and you know, and I just wish I just was my mouth was was shut, you know. I had nothing to say. I said, God, I don't even know yet what a prayer is, what I should ask for. The only thing I feel like I can say is, open my eyes, because everything I could ask you for right now that comes to my mind naturally, I, it's it's out from the lie, you know. It's defined by self. Adoration. It's 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 defined by self love. It's what I think is best. It's about you using me for my own glory. It's about you blessing me. It's about you teaching me how to live my life for you. It's ever, it's all this stuff. You know, it's this life that's always wanted to be forgiven, but it's never wanted to be crucified. You know, it's this is it's this life that wants to study Christian literature and the Bible and become really wise with my own mind. It's a, it's the same mind that looked at that tree of of uh, good and evil and desire to be wise in and of myself it's this wisdom and i like how james says it james chapter uh is it james chapter 1 i can't remember exactly what chapter but he says he says there's two kinds of wisdom i'm paraphrasing but he says there's the wisdom that comes down from above which is he says like pure and peaceable and this and that it gives a gives gives a bunch of adjectives and then he says there's the then there's the wisdom from below which is uh, there's three. I know one of the words is demonic. I remember that. That's, that's a strong word, but it's like selfish, nasty, and demonic. Or that's not those aren't the right three words, but it's it's some three really bad words, and one of them is de- demonic. And uh, you know, and see, all this stuff is all out from the lie. You know, God, what do I need to do in my natural life to fulfill my purpose in the earth? You know, or what, how can I, you know, let me imagine with my mind what Jesus would do, and that's how I'm going to please you. And God, I mean, obviously God looks at us through the lens of the cross and doesn't really even see or deal with our imaginations. He's always just speaking to us what his view. You know, it's like, God doesn't deal with, you know what I mean by that? God doesn't deal with you according to your own imaginations. He always just continues. It's like Abraham keeps coming to God and asking about Ishmael, and, and, and God's just like, who's Ishmael? I, I, and he just keeps talking to him about Isaac. There's another son. There's a real son. There's the son of promise. And, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, but you're going to have a real son, a son of promise, a son of spirit. Sometimes I compare it to like if one of my sons, if one of my kids came up to me and like was acting like a cat, you know? meowing and asking me to change his litter box and stuff like I wouldn't deal with my son like a cat it doesn't matter how much he believed he was a cat I would deal with him as a son and I would ignore 
his imaginations to the contrary. Like if he just sat there and meowed, I would, I wouldn't, it wouldn't enter into how I view him. I just wouldn't even let it, I mean, I would be aware of it, but it wouldn't even affect at all what I knew to be real. So that's kind of how we are. We come to, you know, we can spend 70 years bringing God our Adamic imaginations about what we are and what he wants and who we think we are and all that. And it's kind of like we're sitting there saying, meow, meow, please change my litter box. And God's like, you know what? One of these days, I hope you realize I made you more than a cat through Christ. Well, going back to the lie, they, they, they believed this lie. They became this lie. It, didn't just, it wasn't just wrong information in their head. It, didn't, it wasn't just that, that they, they, they believed some concepts that were inaccurate and, and needed to be corrected. It, it, they, this, became, this lie became the, the, the nature or the, or the lens through which they evaluated everything, evaluated God. It still is the lie through which we evaluate God. It's the way that we evaluate the world, the way that we evaluate ourselves, and, and, and it consumes them immediately. And then the entire earth is, you know, if you, what you do to the seed of uh, a pineapple tree or something, I mean, whatever, pick a, pick, a, pick a plant, what you do to the seed is going to affect the entire plant. You know, if you somehow genetically alter the seed and plant it or inject some kind of well, I don't know what you can do to a seed. I'm not a not a scientist, but let's just say you mess with it. You mess with the seed, which is what Adam was, a seed of a creation, the seed of a kind. You mess with the seed and that seed reproduces according to its kind. You're going that's what that's what you know people stumble over this idea of original sin because it feels like we're being punished for something Adam did. No, it's not like that at all. You're just Adam. You're a branch on an Adamic tree. You came forth as the increase of his kind. What happened to the seed is 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 reflected in every single branch. You know whether or not we produce the exact same fruit or, or, or that Adam did in his transgression or not. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter five. You guys are familiar with this verse. Uh, let me pull it out here. Romans five. There. Uh, Nevertheless, death reigned from, this is verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Even those who had not maybe necessarily transgressed a specific command of God, do not eat this tree, death still reigned over them because, why? Because they were Adam. And God has only ever seen, Jared's been talking about this recently in his class too, it's in the Romans thing, but uh, God has only related to uh, two men. There's just two, there's just two men. You know, there's many branches of those two men, but there's really many members of those two corporate bodies or whatever, and they're, they're all individual souls. But there's really, God relates to you in one of two men, in Adam. And in Christ, there's two plants, you can say, with two different seeds. There's the seed of Adam, which produced a, a gigantic tree. It's called the Adamic tree. You know, your family tree goes all the way back to Adam. That's what you are. Christ's family tree is another seed that was planted in the earth in death, raised up to produce a harvest of his kind in those who are grafted into a completely different life, a completely different tree and we are therefore branches of that life branches of that that vine and uh anyway so so that's what you are and uh <clears throat> and, and and so we continue to again the lie isn't wrong information the lie is this lens or this nature or this um I don't know a better word. Uh, it, it's it's the way that we relate to everything that we see. It's the way that we evaluate things. Things are good to the measure that I am benefited from them. You know, I am the beneficiary of their good. That's how I measure goodness. Things are true to the measure that I need them to be real. So that's how I decide what's true. You know, things are pleasant to the degree that they benefit my flesh you know that's just that's what adam is you start like that babies are like that you know they're cute they're fuzzy whatever but they're 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 uh, maybe not fuzzy but they're they're 
you know, they're, they're Adamic. They started out with, as just an expression of the same nature. And they're, they're ignorant, but they're not innocent. They're totally, totally ignorant um, of the world into which they've been born and the way that the nature that they have works in them, but, that, but they, they're still the same nature. And uh, so with this fall, Adam, now, I, I want to try to say something about this sentence here, about, uh, uh, about how Satan said, that their eyes would be opened, because um, and, and Satan says it, and then it says it in Genesis three seven. It says then the eyes of both of them were opened, and then later it says the same thing. God, I'm not sure where the verse is right now. It's a little bit later. Um, God says they have become like one of us. Ah, here it is in verse twenty two. It says they have become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and so that used to kind of confuse me because I thought I always thought that, and, and, and this is true to, to to an extent, but I think you just kind of have to understand it in the right way. Uh, I always thought that uh, that it was kind of part of the lie was that they could have their eyes open, and it is it is part of the lie to an extent, but. It's part of the lie, and it's also it's, there's also truth to it. Just like much of uh, what we what we understand in the darkness, there's there's sometimes a sliver of truth, you know, to the things that we perverted and mixed with a bunch of uh, falsehood and all of that. But still, um, the uh, the the truth in it is that, in a sense, their eyes were opened, and they did come to under, understand. Good and evil. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, up until that point, I think I may have mentioned this last time too, but up until that point, everything in natural creation was in alignment with, was corresponding with God's created types and shadows, pictures, promises, prophecies of spiritual reality in Christ. That's what the world was. Starting, you know, he makes an old creation. We talked about this. He made, makes an old creation. He, he, he starts to fill it with light. Uh, he, oops, there we go. He he starts to to cause it to multiply according to seed and increase. There's government involved. There's a kingdom that he offers to a man to reign and rule and subdue and fill this creation. All of that was a picture of of what God is uh, uh, is doing in Christ in a new creation, a new man filling up a new creation, starting with light that that works in our hearts and filling us up with the increase of his seed, the conquest of his kingdom, his dominion, and the filling of of our souls with his dominion and 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 seed and increase and every aspect of uh, of of natural creation in the beginning was perfectly uh, in line with corresponding to the 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 substance the shadow was natural the substance is spiritual and the, and the, and the shadow the natural shadow corresponded with aligned with perfectly the uh the substance which was to come in Christ well and some of our earlier classes talked a lot about how that how that worked but here adam becomes Adam and Eve. When I say Adam, I just mean man. That's really what the, that's what the word in Hebrew means anyway. It's just it's a word that means man. Man made his made the first break with created purpose. The first you could say the first time someone colored outside of the lines. You know, like when you give your kids these like uh, coloring books when they're real little, they just absolutely cannot color in the lines. You know, they can switch colors, they can switch crayons, but they always go outside of the lines. Well, for a time, everything in natural creation was colored inside the lines. It was, uh, it was an if you picture. A, a, a color or like a paint by number or like a coloring book with like a picture of Christ, the trees that 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 where the seed died and fell onto the ground and reproduced and the and the animals and the increase of the seed and the harvest and the sun, the light that produced growth and the division between sea and land and everything that God made was perfectly in in an alignment with this created uh, this created picture of spiritual reality and then boom, man colored outside the lines. Man became a shadow that 
failed to align with, to correspond with what God was pointing to. What was God pointing to? Well, it says we just we just read uh, the first part of of Romans chapter 5 verse 14 but the second part says nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam who is a type of him who was to come so it was all pointing to him who was to come it was all aiming at an eternal spiritual new creation that would be governed and filled up by a new man. And we would be that new creation. Behold, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. A creation created for what? For his increase, for his glory, for his light to fill. And Adam... Adam fell from that purpose. Adam broke the pattern. Adam, by by transgressing... What is a transgression? A transgression is just that. It's coloring outside the lines. It's going outside the boundaries of God's perspective, God's limits, God's view. And the, the God's law... God's, God's laws are always descriptions in words of a person. The laws in the Old Testament were exactly that. The righteousness described by the law, Paul tells us, was a, was a was a natural picture, a written, spoken law that was a picture of a nature, the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And 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 Adam broke that. Something something happened in creation that broke away from the perfect shadow. I think I showed you guys uh, at some point the. Uh, the the picture I made one time of uh, let me see if I can just put it up here again. It says the it's a wrong kind of file. Maybe I had to change the file type before, but anyway, it doesn't matter. It's just this guy standing in front of a wall, and the shadow on the wall has these big. He's like freaked out by his own shadow because it has these big horns and wings. It's looking back at him. It's his own shadow, but the shadow doesn't correspond with the thing that is projecting the shadow, casting the shadow. And that's what, that's what happened with Adam's fall. The natural creation took on a purpose of its own through Adam. It had a purpose. The purpose was to testify of, to point to in every way, him who was to come. But it took on its own purpose. That's what the lie does. The lie works in our hearts to make us use our lives, our creation, our, our, our world as a means for our own ends as opposed to a means for God's end. That's the way we see the world. We wake up from, we come out of the womb uh, thinking like that. We wake up in the morning thinking like that. We think about how to use our lives and our uh, well, our bodies, our lives, our relationships, our jobs, our goals, our money, everything as a means, a, a, our own creation. You know, a, 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 I mean, the whole, the whole world as a means to our own, uh, our own gain. And, that's all part of the same lie. But Adam and Eve stepped... So, so what happens is they stepped out of harmony with the mind of God. They stepped out of agreement with what God had called good. God had gone through all of creation and called it good because it was a good shadow. It was a good representation of an eternal and spiritual reality that was coming in His Son. And suddenly... Having known only good, that is to say, only that which aligned with God's view of, of Jesus Christ, having known only that, they became acquainted with evil. What's evil? Well, you know, we, we think of the word evil and our mind goes immediately to actions and, and gross things, and that's fine. I mean, that's that's definitely manifestations of evil, but really there's... There's just two things. There's good and there's evil. Good is that which is Christ, or that which at least aligns with Christ. That's why the natural creation was called good. It was, it was only good to the measure that it was a good reflection of him who is good. And then everything else is contrary, evil. When you read the Old Testament, there's really not a lot of uh, gray area. It's either, like for instance, I've been reading and, and, and teaching through Leviticus and Numbers recently, and it's, it's interesting, either what they, what, what they were presenting to God at the altar, it's either the acceptable sacrifice, because it was a perfect representation of Christ, uh, 
the the burnt offering or the sin offering or whatever. It had to be done exactly the right way with the right animal at the right time in the right place at the you know the right seasons, the right feasts, and all of that. And it was acceptable and pleasing to the Lord because at that time and in those ways, it, it painted this perfect picture of Christ. You know, a, perf- a three-year-old lamb without blemish and all this stuff. Well, if it wasn't that. If it was a two-year-old lamb or a six-year-old lamb or a lamb with three horns or a lamb with two legs or whatever, it wasn't just like decent. It was an abomination. It was contamination. It was reason to be cast out of Israel. What's the deal with that? Well, the deal would be God's a mean, exacting God. No, the deal with that is that God has only considered goodness to be Himself and that which is reflective of Him. In in the Old Testament law, that law was a living; it created this living uh, type and shadow picture in Israel of of the body of Christ. And that was the only reason God never liked burnt meat. He never liked the smell of oil. He liked the measure to which it pointed to him who was to come. And to whatever measure it didn't align with that, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't slightly off. It wasn't good try, but next time remember the, you know, whatever aspect of the feast or the the sacrifice. It was death. It was contamination. It was abomination. It was evil. So, I say that because when man steps outside of the lines, the boundaries of Christ, there's not like this big gray area where like you're kind of neutral or you're kind of, you know, half good, half bad. There's just two things. There's life and there's death. There's Adam and there's Christ. There's darkness and there's light. And when man stepped outside, how did how did Adam and Eve gain? Here's the question that one time kind of was kind of spinning around in my head, but how did Adam and Eve gain the knowledge of good and evil? What happened? Well, I think the answer to that is the only way they became, that their eyes were opened and they saw the contrast between good and evil was by becoming the evil that is contrasted with good. That's the that's why it was bad to have their eyes open. It sounds kind of like a good thing. You know, your eyes will be open. Look, their eyes were open. You know, and, and and that 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 sounds good, except for the fact that the only way that that happened was for them to step outside of the boundaries of what was good, for them to break with the pattern, for them to become the only thing in creation at that time that had that wasn't perfectly in align with God's perspective of the purpose for the earth. They gained the knowledge of good and evil, becoming the evil that is contrasted with good. And to me, and to me, that kind of explains uh, why it says their eyes were opened, and it, it also gives us a little sliver of truth in what Satan said in his temptation to to them that you know, in a sense, they will uh, become like God, knowing good and evil. God, however, you know, I don't exactly know how this works in God, but doesn't have to be the evil that he understands exists in order to understand it or know it. Man, on the other hand gained the knowledge of good and evil by becoming it, by, by, by becoming, walking across that line, stepping across, they seeing themselves as the first contradiction to the purpose of God, seeing themselves as having fallen short of the glory of God, seeing themselves as unclothed in, unclothed from God's purpose and from God's glory. And that's, and that's why they immediately are totally self-conscious, totally aware of themselves and their lack. And and as we said, from that point on, every act and every thought of humanity has been an expression of self-consciousness. Every action of humanity is a way that we express our, uh, apart from Christ becoming in us a new light, a new life, a new mind that works in a new body, a new creation, one new man, and all that. I'm saying, I'm saying, apart from Christ, every action of humanity is a way that we express our consciousness of ourselves 
and our perceived lack or need for the things that we take for ourselves. And that quickly manifests. I mean, I, and that sounds like a really strong statement that I just said. But then if you read a couple of chapters ahead in Genesis, God says the exact same thing. He says, of Adam, of man, every thought and intent of their heart is only evil all the time. I mean, that's, that's almost probably stronger than what I just said. He says something like that three or four times, and even after flood, he says to Noah, you know, that he won't strike the, the, wor- the world again with a flood, even though the thoughts of man are evil from his youth, are all evil from his youth. It's at Genesis chapter 9 somewhere. And so this is what drives and motivates the natural man, this lie, this way of seeing things, this understanding of his own nakedness. And I think like we talked about last week, man's the first reaction of a man who is self-conscious, the very first thing they do, what's the first thing they do? They go grab something to cover themselves, something less than God, something less than Jesus Christ. They cover themselves with something of the earth, something of their own choosing, something, something, and it's not just about, again, it's not just about seeing themselves naked, you know, physically naked. It's not just like, ah, you know, I don't have any clothes on. It's this self-awareness and this awareness of lack and shame and guilt that, that we just don't want to see it. We don't, we want to quickly invent a religion that makes us feel better about ourselves or, 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 or quickly do something that makes it so what I am by nature can't be seen. I don't want you to see it. I don't want God to see it. I don't want anybody to see it. That's what religion is. Religion is man's attempt to cover what we are, what we see, even what we know ourselves to be. You know, I know that we deny it to a great, to a great extent and, and, and we, we lie about who we are and we try to pretend we're something greater than we are. But, but seriously, to a great degree, I mean, everyone really, in the face of death, for instance, I mean, who who doesn't say, "God, I'm sorry for what?" I mean, I mean, we, we are sorry. We know that we're sorry. I mean, we're we're sorry people, and, and to some extent, at least, we're aware of that. And, and and that's what religion lives on. That religion thrives. When I say religion, I'm not talking about Christianity. In case someone's kind of new listening to this, I really Christianity isn't a religion. Christianity is life. It's the life of Christ. In the tree of life that they rejected in the beginning, it's the life that that God gives us in His Son as His Son. But, but religion is an attempt for man to cover himself with something less than Christ. And everything we do in in the name of religion, whether whether it's beat ourselves with whips or kill other people, all of it, everything that is done in religion is somehow motivated by this self-seeking desire to to pretend that we have something and are something that we're not and cover something that we are and do something that'll make us better and 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 remove something that's ugly and and whatever it all just comes out of man now seeing himself rejecting life rejecting purpose and man becoming a source unto himself, living from himself, living for himself, totally filled with shame and guilt and selfishness. And all of that is expressed in these individual things that we call sins. And yet man focuses, I'm getting back to where I started, but man focuses on the sins instead of the reason that those sins come forth. The sins are the multitude of ways. That's what the law did. Paul says the law exposed sins. It showed them for what they were. And yet, death reigned even before the law. Sin was there in the world before the law. Paul says again in Romans chapter 5. What did the law do? It just put a big flashlight on the Adamic man. It's, it gave, it's like one of those like x-ray airport uh, scanners, you know, that just went right through the fig leaves. That's what the law did. It just put you in an airport scanner, spun you around, and showed that you were still Adam, trying to cover yourself in fig leaves. It made it so that everything that they were had an outward, natural expression that was called transgression. Uh, defiance of the law, defiance of the nature of God. All right, well, I don't know where I am in my notes here. Um, yeah, I just I have a few of these little things here. You know, the, the, the lie, 
was more than what they believed. The lie was what they became. And that's why that's why I say all the time, you know, and you guys probably heard me say this, that to to to, to know the truth, you can't just learn true things. Because in order to stop living and believing the lie, believing the lie cannot be corrected by learning true things. Believing the lie has come to be a man, has come to be a nature, a life, a lens through which we see all things. The only way to lose the lie is to lose the man who is the lie. If you're going to know the truth, you have to die to the man who is the lie and receive another life, another light, another lens, another nature, another man, another seed. You can't lose the lie without losing the man who is the lie. The, the, it, it's bigger than a belief. It's, it's an entire reality in which man has his own life and purpose and wisdom and destiny and life and whatever, apart from God. And, and that's what Satan sold us. That's what we bought. You know, I don't really think Satan was selling apples. I think he was selling a lie, and I think we bought it, and we ate it, we became it. And uh, let's see, maybe we should. We're about out of time. I just, I just have here at the end of my notes. I kind of skipped all over the place, but just that. What's the light? You know, I wrote that little thing about the lie. And the light, the light isn't a better perspective. It's a better man. It's it's a different lens because it's a different life. It's a light that doesn't just teach us things. It's a light that works in us, a light that we can abide in, live in. We can walk in the light as he is in the light. In his light, we see light. It's a light that is him. And apart from that light, we believe and live the lie. That's really what it comes down to. So I was going to get into the curse here because the curse is the result of the lie. Um, and I guess we'll get into that next week. We'll start with our next, in two, in two weeks, we'll talk about the, the the curse that immediately followed the lie. But I'll stop the recording there and... <laughs>